I told a couple of people earlier that when the students were in the aisles doing the dance to the church clap, what I would give anything is to have a camera fixed on the doors so that we could watch the reactions of people as they were coming in. <laughs> but let me ask you, aren't you grateful to be a part of a church whose heart beats for the next generation? Isn't that a blessing? One of the things these teenagers have heard over and over and over this weekend is that if we look at the scriptures from beginning to end, God chooses young people as the agents of change for his kingdom so often that it's something that we have to continue to invest in and see multiplied so that the church will continue to grow and that the kingdom will continue to expand. And I just want to encourage you this morning, especially if you're new to Hillcrest, that you are part of one of the healthiest, most God-honoring, Bible-teaching churches, not just in the state of Florida, but I believe in the entire Southern Baptist Convention. I love this place, and it's because this is a church that centers everything on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what this weekend has been all about. That is what these teenagers have been all about. And God has done some amazing things. And I believe that he's not done because we're about to open his word again and invite him to do a work that only he can do. And I'm really, really excited about it. My name is David Wiggins, if I've not had the chance to meet you, and I'm really, really happy to be here. Uh, my wife, Nicole, and I have been married for almost 20 years. I have four kids, my daughter, Annabelle, who's almost 17, my son, Jude, who's 14. I have a son, Charlie, who's nine, a son, John Michael, who's six. The list feels like it gets longer every time I list it out, and I'm just, I'm tired all the time, and I'm really, really happy to be here with you this morning. Hillcrest is my home. I grew up in this church. I had the privilege and the joy of serving this church. And can I just tell you for just a second before we get started that it's really, really good to be home. And I love this place so very much. And I'm really excited to jump into God's word together today. So could we come before the Lord in prayer? And as we do, I want to invite you to posture yourself in a specific way. One of the things we talked a lot about this weekend, and I will tell you, your teenagers are amazing. They're not surprising because I know teenagers are ready for the truth. They're ready to get real. They're ready to hear the hard things and respond in faith, and they have. We've not held back this weekend. You have some of the greatest student pastors I've ever seen at work in Jeremy and Corey, an amazing ministry that teaches the Bible, and this weekend, we got into it. We opened the word together. Friday night, they came in and we took an, I preached for an hour and five minutes Friday night. I'm not going to do that today, but I preached for an hour and five minutes Friday night and they were dialed in. We walked an entire meta narrative of the entire Bible to highlight the faithfulness of God from generation to generation. We talked about what it means to return to the Lord with repentance and with confession of sin. We didn't sit here and do things that are just culturally relevant or light or easy in order to ease them into the water. We opened the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and the sword of the spirit cut deep into the lives of these teenagers. It cut deep into my life this weekend, and the Lord did amazing things, and we believe that he's just getting started. And so as we open the word, 
word this morning, will you bow your head, close your eyes, and if you will, just hold your hands out in front of you like you're going to receive a gift. Lord, this morning, we come before you surrendered to the authority of your word, to the power of your Holy Spirit, in order that we might hear from you true transformation, true power comes only from you. So Father, forgive us this morning as we come in with whatever doubts or fears that we have. And I pray that as we hear from your word, that you would do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I preach the gospel, I just, I like to give a little disclaimer lest anyone think that I'm under any illusion that this is a work that I'm going to do or that any person is going to do. You're looking at an imperfect person getting ready to communicate a word about a perfect person. So forgive me in advance where I fall short of that standard. That's a reflection on me, not the one I proclaim. Maybe like many of you, I, I battle the flesh throughout my day, every day. And every day the flesh manifests itself in a multitude of ways. I mean, the list is really long, whether it be greed or pride or ego or lust or gluttony or indulgence or jealousy or judgmentalism or anger or selfishness. We could keep going. It's a long list. And so, therefore, I subject myself every day to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God in the Bible, and it teaches me, it corrects me, it rebukes me, it trains me in righteousness. And it's there, by grace, that I submit my life to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in constant prayer so that I can walk in the light of God. I submit to accountability that's found in the community of the local church with other believers so that I can be found blameless on the day of the Lord to be above reproach in my daily life. And yet, even despite all of those grace-driven efforts toward righteousness, every day I fail. Every day I stumble. And you may be thinking, well, David, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Well, you don't have to tell me that. I feel like I fall shorter than most, more often than most. And so I feel unworthy and inadequate. And maybe some of you come into this place today and you feel the same way. That's how you feel. We sing these songs together. We celebrate life change together. But somewhere in you, in your mind, in your head is a voice saying, that's not for you. You're not worthy of this joy and this peace that they're talking about and that they're singing about. Well, guess what? You're not. And neither am I, and no one is. So I come before you this morning with nothing more and nothing less than this. I am not worthy. You are not worthy, but Jesus is worthy. I don't have good advice for you this morning on how to make your life better in five simple steps. I'm not smart enough for that. My failures disqualify me from giving that kind of advice anyway. So here's what I can proclaim this morning. No matter who you are, whether this is your first time here or your thousandth time through those doors, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter how heinous the transgression may be, 
no matter how much brokenness there is in your life, no matter how much drama surrounds your life, no matter what and no matter who you are, Jesus, the only worthy one, the sinless one, is for you today. Jesus stands ready to welcome you home into his kingdom. He welcomes you into a right relationship with God. And in Jesus, you will find forgiveness. In Jesus, you will find peace. In Jesus, you will find hope. In Jesus, you will find joy. In Jesus, you will find salvation. But hear me loud and clear, you will only find that in Jesus. You will not find it in yourself today, no matter how deep you look. As a matter of fact, I bet the deeper you look, the more you realize how true this is. You're not going to find it in your husband. You're not going to find it in your wife. You're not going to find it in your boyfriend. You're not going to find it in your girlfriend. You're not going to find it in your son, your daughter. You're not going to find it when you get a raise at work. You're not going to find it when you finally get through this season of craziness. You're not going to find it by getting more involved in church. You won't find it by going on a mission trip. You won't find it by donating more money. You certainly won't find it through any attempt at self-improvement or higher self-esteem. Why? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And no one comes into the perfect, reconciled life with God except through Jesus. And that life is yours this morning. If you will turn from your sin and trust Jesus, if you will take up your cross and follow Jesus in obedience. So as you listen to the preacher today, just know that my life is one of constant daily surrender to his will. I've died to myself, so all I can hold up before you today is Christ revealed. And we're going to trust him with the results of that. Is that okay with you guys? Can we get to work? We need to because we've got a lot of work to do. Not an hour and five minutes worth, but we need to get busy. We're going to talk about one of the minor prophets today. His name was Zephaniah. I refer to Zephaniah as one of those table of contents books of the Bible. And so no shame if you need to do that. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to Zephaniah. We're going to look at a few selected scriptures in Zephaniah. If you have the YouVersion app, you can go to the events page in the YouVersion app, and it will connect you to the scriptures for today. Like many of the other prophets of his era, Zephaniah has been called and sent by God to declare impending righteous judgment over the sins and idolatry of not only Judah, but all the nations of the earth, including Assyria and Nineveh and the Cushites. Through Zephaniah, God is not reserving his judgment just for his chosen people. God is grieved and angry over the sins and disobedience of the people of his creation. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 read, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. 
Man, can you imagine putting that on a Hillcrest billboard out on Nine Mile Road? <laughs> 9.30 and 11, Sunday mornings. A safe place for the whole family. You know, we laugh because it has become a little taboo in the church to talk about the righteous and imminent judgment of God. It is not an attractional strategy for church growth. But here we have Zephaniah, who had a lot to lose by doing this, by the way. In verse 1, chapter 1, Zephaniah lists his genealogy Four generations deep. And what we see is that he is of a significant bloodline in Jerusalem. Possibly even noble or royal. So by declaring this message, Zephaniah is not some wild-eyed outsider, desert prophet preacher in burlap with crazy hair shouting truth to power. He is very much declaring this message from the inside to his peers, and it is going to cost him. And this message that Zephaniah is declaring is very consistent with what we hear from God through the other prophets as well. Sin is rampant in the land. God is righteous, and in his righteousness, he will bring judgment against sin. Listen to Zephaniah 1, 14 through 17. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Listen, the violent, dramatic, devastating judgment that God is declaring through Zephaniah here is not just some arbitrary act of God because he's in a bad mood. It's not just an emotional anger. It's not some reactionary rage. This declaration and this kind of judgment is literally inherent to the nature of God because he is righteous. That's what righteousness does. It brings a sword that divides wheat from chaff, sheep from goats. I didn't mean to look at y'all when I said goats, but <laughs> righteousness from unrighteousness. This is what righteousness does. And once that judgment has been rendered, only that which is found to be righteous, perfect, holy, consistent with the character of God. Only those things will remain and everything else will be devastated and destroyed. And while it's true that much of this specific prophecy is about the impending Babylonian invasion and captivity of Judah, when God speaks through Zephaniah about the coming day of the Lord, make no mistake that the implications of that extend far beyond this specific time and place because there there is a day coming where we will all be called before the righteous God for our time of judgment. Listen to me. You will stand before God. And it will just be you. You will not be able to look to your left 
or your right and point to anyone else to give an account for your life. You will be postured before the righteous throne of God to give an account for the life that he has given you. But in this specific time and place in Zephaniah, where he lives, where he prophesies, what we know is that Josiah is the king of Judah. He's a young king, probably a young teenager when he takes the throne. But he fears God. And Josiah immediately goes about the work of beginning to attempt to undo much of the damage wrought by his father and his grandfather, Ammon and Manasseh. These men led Judah by compromising and capitulating to the culture around them. They allowed the desecration of God's temple. They permitted acts of evil violence, immorality, and idolatrous worship to pagan gods to persist all around them. All over the high places of the city of Jerusalem, on the hillsides where it was most visible, were erected statues and idols of pagan gods. All of this done in order to win favor with pagan people. But Ammon and Manasseh, by pursuing favor with pagan people, forfeited the favor and the blessing of God. To sound a little familiar? And so judgment is coming. I encourage you to read later, 2 Kings chapter 23, just to get an idea of how King Josiah came in and just started to clean house of all of this evil in order to see the people of Judah return to the Lord. One of the specific things that Josiah did is he had the priestly order of the temple begin to go around to all of these high places of the city and literally begin to knock over and topple the statues and the idols of false gods that had gone up under the reign of his predecessors. For two generations, the people of Judah were permitted to hide in the shadows of these false gods. By hiding in the shadows of these idols, people walked with a false sense of security. And in their weakness, over time, were given over to all sorts of immorality and disobedience and sin. They thought that they could hide in these shadows of these idols and of these statues and that it would protect them and give them what they thought they needed, whether that was power or pleasure or even just a minute to numb themselves to the pain that they were inflicting on themselves in their own disobedience. And then along comes young King Josiah. And he sends out the priestly order to begin knocking over all of these idols, toppling all of these statues. And in doing so, he begins exposing the people of Judah to the burning white hot light of God's righteous judgment against their sin. And Zephaniah is warning them. And I believe that through Zephaniah, God is also calling out to us here today. Listen to the word of the Lord in Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, 
before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. And perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. In the midst of this message of impending righteous judgment, a ray of light, a ray of hope emerges when God says, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of judgment. My wife, Nicole, has a special gift of studying the Bible and hearing very clearly from the Lord through his word. And when we were talking and praying through this passage together, she brought this specific uh, text to me and she said, how cool is it that the God who judges is also the only one who can save. The righteousness of God, make no mistake, will result in judgment because it's who he is. However, there's another character quality inherent to the righteousness of God, and that's mercy, kindness, forgiveness, patience, grace, The God who wants to and will destroy sin and unrighteousness wants to hide you from it. There's a really cool biblical pattern to this. And we don't have time to do the whole thing, but we can go back to the very beginning of creation in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. Adam and Eve have disobeyed the Father, and their shame and their sin has been exposed, and they're naked before the Lord and each other. And they have to face the consequences and the judgment for that disobedience. But God, with the great love with which he loved us, with the mercy and kindness of a father, made a sacrifice and crafted for them a cloth to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin, to cover their shame. God hides Noah and his family in the ark while simultaneously judging the wickedness of the earth. And understand that the ark was God's idea. God gave Noah the supply list. God gave Noah the blueprints. God gave Noah the specific instructions of how to build it. We do not just get to make up ways that we are saved by God. Salvation is God's idea. Salvation is God's work. Salvation is only found where God says that we can find it. God hides the captive Israelites in Egypt in their homes and instructs them that if they'll cover their door with the blood of a spotless lamb, as he sends judgment and death through the land, their family will be saved over and over again. We see that God is inviting us into the light of his righteousness, not so that he can destroy you, but so that he can destroy your sin and save you. This salvation that he offers us, this rescue, this hiding place from his righteous judgment, like he did with Noah, God provides the means of rescue. God provides the promise of security in that rescue. And God gives us clear instructions on how to crawl out of the shadows of idolatry and unrighteousness in our own life and into the hiding place that he has provided for our own eternal salvation and security. What is the means of this rescue? What is the promise? 
What are the instructions? The instructions God gives through his prophet Zephaniah are clear from our text. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. And perhaps you may be hidden. Well, if we seek the Lord where he can be found in his word, we're told where we can find righteousness and humility and salvation. In a familiar passage in John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Well, I'm going to say that one again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What love is this? The same God who in his righteousness will judge the world. That same God compelled by a righteous love that extends far beyond anything that we know or can even comprehend. That same God becomes like us, taking the form of a man in the person of Jesus, tempted and tried in every way as we are, humbling himself unto the form of a servant and yet remaining without sin. And then in that sinless righteousness, Jesus doesn't judge us. But instead, he allows that sinless righteousness to do something altogether different. We talked with the students this weekend about the righteous life of Christ and what it did. We talked about two primary things. One, the righteous life of Christ sets for us an example, a model it shows us the heart of God and how to obey God and how to live in a way that honors God. However, it's an example that by our own strength we're incapable of following. And so, in his sinless righteousness, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The payment for your sin is death. One sin, one disobedient thought, one rebellious moment, one attitude, one word, one thing that's displeasing to God disqualifies us from fellowship with God and separates us from him. Jesus never had that. Jesus never had a rebellious thought. Jesus never had an unrighteous moment. Jesus never made a bad decision. Jesus was perfect and righteous in every way, but he still died. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus never sinned. So the other thing Jesus' righteous life did was it qualified him to be a perfect sacrifice for your sin. Jesus' righteousness qualified him to bear the weight of your sin because he did not have to bear the weight of his own. And he is mighty and strong enough to put that sin to death in his flesh. And by his righteous spilled blood... Jesus creates for us a hiding place on the day of the Lord so that we might be rescued. 
Do you know what the Hebrew meaning of the name Zephaniah is? The Hebrew meaning of the name Zephaniah is hidden by God. We don't just need to be hidden from God. We need to be hidden by God, clothed in his righteousness now and forever for our security and for our identity and for our eternity. And so a question that I want you to reckon with this morning is what are you counting on to hide you from the coming judgment of God? What are you depending on to shield you from the impending judgment of his righteousness? Is it possible today that like the wicked kings of old in Judah, you may have, even without knowing it, erected idols and statues in your own life and you're hiding in the shadows of those idols You're hiding in the shadows of those false gods. You're hiding in the shadows of those statues with a false sense of security, with a false sense of identity. Another question that I want you to wrestle with this morning is, are the shadows of those idols in your life mighty and secure enough to not only hide you from righteous judgment, Are they powerful enough to transform your inner person? Are the idols and statues that you've erected in your life strong enough to sanctify you and mold you and conform you into the person that God created you to be? God is not just about rescue, although he is about rescue. Salvation is about transformation and becoming more like the character of God. Hillcrest has my favorite mission statement ever. Hillcrest exists to help people in becoming like Christ. That is what discipleship is. But discipleship is a process. Salvation is not. Sanctification is a process. Justification is not. There is a moment where we come before God with our sin. And in that moment, if we will confess our sin, then he is just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and bring us into his kingdom as one of his children. But when we chase false, insecure shadows, when we hide in things that actually cannot withstand the day of the Lord, not only are we exposing ourselves to judgment, but we're also robbing ourselves of the life-changing power of God by believing lies. I want to share something with you this morning that many of you know and will be obvious, but it must be said. You have an enemy. His name is Satan. He is not a fable, a myth, a fairy tale, an allegorical character made up in order to help us understand evil. He is real. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he hates your guts. He hates God, and he hates you, and he wants to steal your joy, and he wants to kill your future, and he wants to destroy your life by whispering lies to you. He would have you believe today that where you are is just fine. 
He whispers in your ear even now, telling you that stepping out into the light of God's judgment is actually not a really good idea because then people are going to see just how ugly and just how dark your shame is. Last night with the students, we talked about the countercultural gospel idea from Luke 15 of there being extravagant, confounding celebration when sinners repent and confess their sin. But your enemy will lie to you and tell you the opposite. Keep it to yourself. What you've built for yourself is working. Don't rock the boat. Stay where you are and just make it through. Listen to me. He is lying. He's lying to you. He hates you. He knows that keeping you stuck where you're at is his best shot at ruining your future and stealing your eternal destiny from the kingdom of God. God is calling you to step out from the shadows today and into the light, not to be put to shame, but to be saved, to be rescued, to have your feet set on the rock, to be given a new identity. So a question for you this morning is what idols need to be toppled in your life today? What are the things that you've built, that you've constructed, that you have erected in your life that are casting shadows that you hide in in order to feel some false sense of security? Can I share something with you this morning? No amount of success in your career can hide you on the day of the Lord. No amount of money or influence or power can hide you on the day of the Lord. No person living on this earth today, not me, not your pastor, not your spouse, not your children, no one can hide you on the day of the Lord. Super Bowl Sunday, your favorite team can't hide you on the day of the Lord. Food, alcohol, drugs, sex, lust, knowledge, education, upward mobility, these may provide temporary fleeting moments of pleasure and validation, but that pleasure and that validation is exactly where your reward will end because these things cannot hide you on the day of the Lord. Why? Because there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved than the name of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, righteousness incarnate, crucified to give you a hiding place, risen from the dead to give you transformational power and the righteous right hand of Jesus is extended to you today as an invitation to be forgiven of your idolatry resurrected from the death of sin and invited into new life whereby you can be transformed into the likeness of God and hidden in Christ, the only one mighty and secure enough to save us and hide us on the day of the Lord. There's a robe that awaits those who return to their father. It's dazzling white because of the righteousness of God. And the heart of your father today despite how ragged and dirty and full of holes and embarrassing 
the unrighteousness that you're wearing is. If you will come to Jesus, your righteous, holy, heavenly Father wants to take the dazzling white robe of his righteousness and drape it over your shoulders as a covering for your sin and your shame. There's a ring, the signet ring of the family of God that he wants to slide onto your finger so that your identity is fixed and branded on him. This morning, if you are not in Christ, you are not a child of God. You're a creation of God, made in his image, and he loves you. But when we say that we're all God's children, that's not true. You're only a part of God's family if you're wearing that robe that covers your unrighteousness with his righteousness. You're only a part of God's family if you wear the ring that identifies you as his son or daughter. And the only way that happens is if you come to him in full acknowledgement of your sin and your shame and your disobedience. But when you do that, you are met in that space with mercy and grace and kindness and the love of a father who wants to draw you near to himself. He has set a table for you, even in the presence of enemies, filled with a feast that will last for all eternity, and it's for all of his children who are in Christ, because Christ is the perfect revelation of the heart, character, and righteousness of God, and he wants to give that righteousness, that salvation, that forgiveness, that joy, that peace, that hope, that life, that purpose. He wants to give that to you today as a free gift from his heart for his people that he created. And the great news about this is it doesn't matter what you've done. He wants to hide you in him. And this message is for everyone today. If you're here and you are a child of God, you do wear that ring. You do wear that robe. But maybe you've returned to some of the old patterns, some of the old thoughts, some of the old speech, some of the old destructive relationships and habits that have held you in captivity for so long, there is a reminder for you today that we serve a God of billions and trillions of chances. And our Father will never run out of welcome home banners to hang on the porch if you'll return to Him today. And if you are in Christ, this is also a message for you to proclaim to the world. Understand, no one, no one who is in Christ. I don't care what your spiritual gifts inventory said. No one who is in Christ is exempt from the command to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. So this is a message for you to go and share with your world. It's good news. And then there are some of you here today, there were some at 9.30. We've seen students saved this weekend. We saw people saved at 9.30. There are some of you here today and you're not sure 
you look down at your finger and you don't see that ring. You have not acknowledged your sinful state before God, cried out to him for mercy and forgiveness and accepted the free gift of righteousness and identity in his kingdom that he offers you through his son, Jesus. Man, my question for you this morning, if that's you, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of the disappointment? Aren't you tired of erecting statues and idols to try to build a life and it just keeps letting you down? You can't get it right. You can't break free of the cycle and the pattern of thoughts, attitudes, speech, behavior, and relationships that have held you in captivity. You are in bondage, and this morning, Jesus wants to set you free. If you feel powerless to change things this morning, that's a really good thing because you are. But Jesus has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And with that authority and with that power, he humbled himself to the form of a homeless, helpless baby, lived a righteous life as an example for us, qualifying him to be a perfect sacrifice for you, and then demonstrating power over sin and death, rose from the grave so that you could receive his Holy Spirit, be filled with his Holy Spirit, and live a life pleasing to him. And when you stand before him, instead of all of your unrighteousness and all of your sin and all of your shame being what brands and identifies you before the Father, He will look out and He will see you hidden in Christ, His Son. And He is very, very pleased with His Son. And that is who you want with you on the day of the Lord. And besides... Doesn't the idea of getting some rest sound really good? There is rest in Jesus for you today. And I believe with all my heart that someone in this room today needs to step out from the shadows of the idols and the false gods that you have erected in your life, not so that your shame can be exposed and you can be embarrassed, but rather so that you can experience the grace the mercy and the kindness of the God who loves you more than you could ever even imagine and wants to save you, set your feet on the rock, and give you the life that he created you for in the first place. And so here's how we're going to do this this morning. Because I truly believe that someone in this room needs to take that step out from the shadows and into the light today. And we want to create space for you to do just that. And so if you would, everybody in the room, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? This is a service to your neighbor and you can begin praying. But if you're in this room today and you would say, David, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of the disappointment, of the shame. I'm tired of the bondage and of the captivity. If you're a teenager, if you're an adult, if you're five years old or if you're 95 years old, if you're here today, and for you, today is the day of salvation in Jesus because you want to experience the forgiveness and freedom that comes from Him. If that's you and you want to step out from those shadows today into the light, would you lift your hand so that I can see it, please?
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Keep it up. I'm going to ask you to do something else in a second, so that's all right. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Fantastic. Amen. Wonderful. Hey, listen. If your hand is up, would you just look at me real quick, just the ones whose hands are up? Yeah. Back there. Listen, in just a minute, we're going to have pastors standing right here at the front. The band's going to lead us. We're going to respond to God's word with worship through singing. As we sing, I mean, I'm talking the second I say amen and step off the stage, I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to walk down here and come to one of these pastors. We're not going to put anything on blast, but taking this step out of those shadows and letting one of these godly leaders pray with you and walk with you through the next steps of the most important decision you will ever make is not something I want you to miss this morning. And I saw who raised their hand, and so I'll come grab you if I have to. You come today. As soon as I say amen. Now, there's another group of you. You've done this. You've got the ring. You've got the rope. But it's time to return home. It's time to cast aside everything that entangles you and snares you. It's time to cast off the weight of guilt and shame and disobedience and return to your Father and have your feet set on the path He has for you. You can do that at your seat. You can come pray with one of these pastors, but this altar will be open. I would encourage you, grab the hand of your, your partner, your spouse, your siblings, your kids, the stranger next to you. That'd be weird, but it's fine. And you come down here to this altar and come and lay these things before God this morning and then leave them here. We're going to do business with God. Don't miss it, because when you walk out that back door, you and I both know that the chances of you doing that business go down. Don't pass this moment by. Let's stand to our feet. Father, this morning, as we've opened your word and as we've come to you, we see that you are righteous. We see that in your righteousness you will judge, but we believe you to be our hiding place. You love us so much that you have crafted for us a perfect, secure hiding place under the wing of your son Jesus, who loves us, who transforms us into his likeness. And today, for those who raised their hand and maybe for a few of those who didn't, I pray that they would take that next step of stepping out of the shadows and into the light and that they would come even now and pray with these pastors. Lord, forgive us, set our feet right. Thank you that we don't have to make this stuff up or be creative, that we've got your revealed word and the power of your spirit. We surrender to it in Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, you come, these pastors are here. If you raised your hand, you come and you say, today is the day of salvation for me. They're here to pray with you. Let's sing and you come.